Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, January the 23rd, 2023. It is currently 3.12 p.m. Central Time. I'm sorry. Come here. Let's do that again. Let's do that again. I was about to start coughing. I was about to start coughing. There's nothing worse than going live and you're about to start coughing. I was trying. I was trying like, I'm not going to cough. I'm not going to cough. I'm doing a live intro. I cannot cough. Do not cough. I was, I was like, I was telling myself, don't cough, don't cough, don't cough. But I was getting ready to do this. I was getting ready to mute the mic. And then come back on. I see I did actually start coughing. All right. Are you ready? Let's just do the whole thing again. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we go live officially in five, four, three, two, one. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, January the 23rd, 2023. It is currently 3.13 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, if you noticed, that intro did not go perfectly, did it? No. I I almost started coughing. I, I had to start over. I had to do it again. So I know, I am painfully aware that in any kind of public speaking situation, mistakes can be made. You Sometimes things don't go the way you want them to go. Sometimes you say things in an incorrect way. You mess up. You, you, you have this idea of the way it wants to go, and then by the time you're done with your speech or your sermon or your presentation or your live podcast, when it's all done, you're afterwards, you're like, man, that went wrong. That I, this just didn't go right, and this didn't go right. And let me, I, I want to make this very clear. I am understanding of that. I feel great empathy for anyone who does any form of public speaking. I know how difficult it can be. I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Who knows how many hundreds and thousands of hours I've spent in my life either standing in front of people talking, preaching, teaching, sitting in front of a microphone, hour after hour after hour. And trust me, there are plenty of examples online of when things don't go quite the way you had planned. Now, someone may listen and not realize how much I messed up. Sometimes they hear how much I messed up. Sometimes they hear me come back and do a a follow-up program correcting the mess up. Sometimes you'll hear me talk about how frustrated I was because I didn't think it went very well. Sometimes you'll hear me preach and then find out that the sermon never made it online because I deleted it. So I want to make it very clear. I understand. I truly understand when someone attempts to preach and it doesn't go according to plan. I don't ever try to pick on that. Even when we do a sermon review, I don't try to pick on someone making a mistake or saying the word the incorrect way or stumbling over their words or their outline. It's like, wait a minute, why is that point three? That should be point one. Like, I don't like to do that. 
I don't like to uh, attack their voice, their laugh, any, anything that's a personal attack. That's to me is just not very Christian. I don't want to go after their quote unquote, their wardrobe or all, all the things that I've seen people criticize for. No, what I, all I care about in a sermon review, first of all, when I review a sermon, remember, I don't, I typically don't listen to it first. Uh, so all, I'm just interested in listening to a sermon. And I'm just inviting people to listen in. And if I do review a sermon that I have actually heard, it's not because I just want to attack or mock. I, it's because I'm concerned with how the word of God was handled. And, and because I am in no position, obviously, to criticize so many other things because I, I say things incorrectly. I mess up things. I get the, I don't say the Greek word the correct way. I, sometimes I don't even say the English word the correct way. So we all, I look, we're all fallible human beings who make mistakes. We, we stumble. So there has to be grace given to anyone who does any form of public speaking. I started this podcast and what happened? I got ready to, to give the date and I'm like, I'm getting ready to start coughing. I, I like I, it, it, everything went wrong. Now, everything went wrong, but it serves as a great example of how things can go wrong when you're done preaching. But I do know this. This is what I can be dogmatic about. If a sermon goes horribly wrong, if it goes horribly wrong and it's not presented the way you think it should, and here, most importantly, if you realize that you didn't really do justice to the text, either one, you come back the next week and fix it, or you can just delete it from the internet. There, there's different things you can do, but, but if you feel like you didn't do anything wrong, well, then by all means, you you should you should just keep it there no matter the criticisms and no matter, no matter other people's opinion. And we do have to take this into consideration. When it comes to preaching, when it comes to teaching, there is an element of it that, that people's criticism and whether people like it or dislike it is extremely subjective, right? Uh, we have to admit that, right? There is a human element. When someone stands up and preach, someone may go, that was a great sermon. And someone else may go, what was so great about that? Because you have to figure out by which criteria are they saying it's a great sermon? Is it because the way the, the sound of the pastor's voice or the speaker's voice? Is it because of his inflection? Is it because of his jokes? Is it because of his passion? Is it zeal? What, like, what criteria are you using? So we always know that everyone approaches preaching and teaching in a slightly different, from a slightly different perspective and have a different category or a different framework and how to critique a sermon, what, what they are looking for, what they like or dislike. We all have to, we all have to acknowledge that. Look, there are some pastors who are extremely popular, who I think their preaching is horrible, but I can at least understand their popularity, right? Like from the, from the textual, from the theological, from the doctrinal, I'm like, this preaching is a train wreck. But from the practical human fleshly, man, their communication, they got the right pacing, they got the right pause, they don't, they don't have any of those little mistakes that people can make, any of those verbal you know, crutches that we can rely on. Everything is just wonderful. So sometimes I can say, I can understand why they're popular, but man, their preaching and teaching is a mess. And then there are other times that someone is a popular speaker and everyone seems to love them or they're standing in front of a, a, a large church, maybe a multi-campus church. And I'm like, wait, how, 
how did why, how did they become a preacher of a church that size? Like, like, because sometimes I don't understand it from, like, I don't get it from just a practical perspective. Like, they're not, I don't think they're a great speaker. And I don't understand it in, in regards to how they handled the text. So sometimes I'm baffled by it. But, but I'm acknowledging there is a subjective element to it. There is something subjective about it. What you may like may be different than what I like. So we can understand pastors will make mistakes. Sometimes a sermon doesn't go as planned. We can, we can all acknowledge that, right? We can all acknowledge there's a subjective element to saying a sermon is good or bad because there's a lot of personal preferences that come into that. But even though I'm saying all of that, trying to demonstrate here that what I'm getting ready to do, I'm trying to be fair and I'm trying to acknowledge all of these elements that go into a sermon. But I have to be honest with you. When you open up your Bible and you say, today I'm preaching on John chapter 1, verses 1 through, say, 18. (laughs) Is it me, or is there a certain expectation? Like, you're going to preach on John chapter 1. Now, here, I know there can be subjective feelings, right? Okay, well, they preached on John chapter 1, and they were passionate and there was there was a lot of zeal and there was a lot of you know raising their voice and it was dramatic and it was passionate and it got me excited and then well oh they preached on John chapter one and oh man oh it was I don't know what that was right I understand that there's a lot of personal preferences that come into play but I think we can all agree that when you open up your Bible to John chapter 1, it's almost like you're, I mean, whenever you open up the pages of your Bible to any, any chapter, I mean, you're obviously dealing with something that is sacred, something that is inspired. It's God's word. But I, so I, so in one sense, we should ha- approach it all of tech, the text that way. But there's just something about John chapter 1 that should just make every person who preaches it or teaches it pause and go, Whoa, I I am entering into some deep waters here. Do I know how to navigate this? Do I know how to handle this? I mean, let me just read some of it. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Just reading the text, you can just feel the weight of those words. In the beginning was the word. So here's the beginning and the word is there. The word is with God and the word was God. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, we got to identify the word, got to identify the beginning, was with God, but was God. Separate, but how do we, okay, how do we understand this? The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. So this, the word is a him. It's a person and they were with God and they was, and they, and they are God. And without him was not anything made in him was the life and the life of was the light of all men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehend, comprehended it not. There was a man sent from John or there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the, that light. That is the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We've got things like, okay, the word with was begotten of the Father. We've got some serious issues going on. There is, I mean, there is so much, and I didn't even go to all the other issues. I mean, I could, I could spend 40 minutes just going, probably listing all the serious theological implications surrounding this section. Not only that, you almost have to deal with, obviously, the Jehovah's Witness and their translation of John chapter 1, verse 1, which, you know, basically destroys the deity of Christ, rejects the deity of Christ. Not, he's not, he wasn't, he wasn't God, he was a God kind of concept. I don't have my New World Living Translation right here. I think it's the New World Living Translation, what it's called. I don't have it right here in front of me. But uh, if you if you look at the Jehovah's Witnesses, they can come knock on your door. So if you're preaching John chapter 1, you think you have to address that to equip your people to be protected from this false gospel, false Christianity coming to people's door. They claim to be Christians, and they, it's a false everything. You think you would have to address that. There's so many issues here. What does it mean, the only begotten of the Father? Wait, wait, doesn't begotten mean like, like a beginning or an or like what, what do we mean by begotten? Was he begotten? Does begotten mean made? Does begotten mean created? Was this word the first thing God created? But wait, but in all things were made. Like, how do we understand all of them? Which again goes back to Jehovah's Witnesses and some other groups as well. There's so many issues in this text that it's. I, I just can't even comprehend it. Now, again, I know it's subjective. I know it's subjective about what you like and what I like. Look, I know pastors can have a, a bad Sunday where everything goes wrong. I, I can understand that. But I say all of this because early this morning, I was listening to a sermon. And the sermon was supposed to be a sermon on John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. 18 verses. And John chapter 1. Now, I'm already baffled and blown away. Like, how can you preach all of these 18 verses in one sermon that's, I think it's about 30 minutes long, maybe 30, 35 minutes long. It, it, it felt very, very short. It wasn't a long sermon. So our, I'm already, I was already perplexed and confused, but I was even more perplexed and confused and how it was handled. Now, again, I understand pastors can have a bad Sunday. I understand that. But even if you were having a bad Sunday, you still think that it could turn, in other words, it could be a bad sermon, but you still actually dealt with the text. In other words, you may have tried to deal with the text and you handled it incorrectly or you made some mistakes, but this was just a wholesale, I'm not going to deal with the text in any meaningful way. I'm just going to reference it here or there. I'll say a few things, but for the most part, 
I'm just going to go. And what's crazy, if you really think about it, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 is really about Christ, not about us. But somehow the sermon felt like it became more about us. It was such a mess. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. But I want to turn on the microphone to say this. Look, and again, I've, I want you to hear, I've acknowledged all of that. I know I've spent 15 minutes really in this introduction, but I've tried to go overboard to say, look, I understand a pastor can get it wrong. I want to show grace there. I can understand that we can make mistakes. I understand that judging preaching is a very subjective thing. What you like may not be what I like, I, but there has to be at least some objective standard. So when it comes to preaching John chapter 1, what is it at a bare minimum? What do you think is an objective standard in how someone should handle John chapter one? Do you think they need to deal with the, the idea that Jehovah's Witnesses translate John chapter one in a completely different way that basically denies the deity of Christ, turns him into a God instead of the God? Do you think you need to address that? Considering they go around to people's houses door to door. Do you feel like as a pastor, it's your responsibility to equip people? If someone preaches that and completely ignores that possibility or that problem, are they, are they neglecting their responsibility to equip people so they're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine? If you read John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and was God, and you don't really articulate a Trinitarian understanding of God— Looking at the, the how modalism or Sabellianism may look at it versus a Trinitarian, do you think you you have to to deal with that in some way, shape, or form? The fact that Jesus here is referred to as the begotten. What does begotten mean? Does it mean origin? Does it mean generated, created, or does it have another meaning? Do you do you possibly bring in the Nicene Creed? When it like what what like what do you think is the bare minimum? Now I know for the average church member, you may not have enough knowledge to know how to judge it. But I think you, I think everyone should say, uh, if, if you're going to preach John chapter one, verses one through 18, I would think now, maybe I'm wrong, but I think the expectation would be, I want to know everything about these verses. I want to know everything. Now, many pastors will be like, well, that will take too long, but say, I don't understand that each Sunday you have to preach, right? So, who cares if you're preaching from John chapter one for six years, because for those six years, you got to be preaching something, but it's some weird, like we got to move quickly. We got to move quickly. Why? Who made that rule? Well, the people will get bored. They'll get bored exploring the word of God and what it reveals to us about Jesus. And one of the most amazing theologically in-depth passages in the Bible. Like I, I don't understand that thinking. Now, is that the P is that the pastor's thinking or is that what the people want? I don't know. But, but in your mind, if you were like, okay, I'm going to church. We're starting a series on the gospel of John. We're in John chapter one. What's your expectation? Do you want funny stories? Do you want illustrations? Do you want it to be more application than it is interpretation? Do you want more make it practical than more of exegeting it? 
What is your expectation? Now, good chance that your expectation may determine the kind of church you go to. But why would there be, why would the expectation of people sitting in the pew be so radically different? Why are some, like, why are some perfectly okay with a sermon on John chapter one that covers 18 verses in one week? Like, how is it humanly possible? I'd be like, there's no way we can cover it. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe that next week at this church that uh, I'm referring to, they'll come back and maybe it was just supposed was supposed to give an overview of the, I don't know what, I don't even really know what the purpose of the sermon was, but we're getting ready to find out because I'm going to, to we're going to review some of this. Now, here, now I want you to, oh, you got to listen to me here. You got to listen to me here. I'm not giving the name of the church. I'm not giving the name of the pastor because I have no desire. Now, now the sermon's online, all right? So they put it online. This is not like something that you know, I took from somewhere private. It's online. So it's not like, oh, you know, I, 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 you know I'm going to take this private thing. No, this is online. So they, they, they obviously have no problem with it. But I still don't want to give the name or anything because I just felt bad because to me, it was like, I just, I don't even know what to describe it as, but I guess I'm doing this. I'm reviewing it for this reason. One, because I, all I can think about all day was just like, what, what was that? So it started making me question my own preaching. It's like, well, maybe I preach wrong. Maybe my expectation is John chapter one, we're going to be here for a year. Right. And everybody else would like, that's over the top. That's ridiculous. See, so maybe my perspective is wrong. So I, so I wanted to review it and, and, and I'm not going to review the whole thing. I don't know. Maybe I'll end up reviewing the whole thing. Who knows? But I've been preoccupied with it all day because it really, to me, gives a great example for you to tell me like you as pastors see things so differently, but you sitting in the pew, what would be your expectation and so I, I, uh, for John chapter one, but as you listen, do you feel that you may think that this is okay. You may think it's great preaching. And if you think it's great preaching, please explain to me how it's great preaching. I, I want to know because I, I'm willing to say that maybe my perspective is flawed. Maybe my perspective is wrong, but I was just totally baffled by it. And it bothered me all day. On one hand, I want to say I felt bad for the person preaching. I really did. It's like I was empathetic. I, I just felt like it all went wrong. But maybe in their minds, they think it went great. Maybe everyone in that church was like, that was the greatest sermon I have ever heard on John chapter one. Maybe they thought if I said first John at any point, I apologize. John chapter one, maybe, maybe they were like, man, that was, that was touching. That was amazing. That I learned so much. I was convicted. Maybe others thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Once again, there's the subjective nature of it, but shouldn't there, there is there's got to be some kind of objective standard, right? Or am, or am I just, have I lost my mind here? There's got to be an objective standard. When the preaching of John chapter one, there has to be a bare minimum of what is expected. I, I, I refuse to say, I refuse to say that, that this, what we, what I heard what was, was acceptable, but, but you tell me if you think I am wrong. Okay. And I am sorry for the long intro, but I felt like I had to give the long intro because, uh, because I know people would misunderstand this. Like I wanted to just open it up and read John chapter one and say, Hey, how do you think this should be preached? Let's listen to a sermon. 
But I, I wanted to bring up all of those other things. I understand preachers can have bad days. I understand they can make mistakes. And I think grace has to be shown for that. I do know that if it goes bad, you can delete it or you can redo it. Um, and I, and I, and I, and I also know that, that judging a preaching can be subjective. So I, so I've tried to take all of this into consideration, but even after considering all of this, I'm still just, I don't get it. I just don't get it. So here we go. Now, this is not some small church that have multi, there is a multi-site kind of church. I don't know how many people was in that particular building right there. I don't know how many particular people. I guarantee you private preaches in front of more people than I have ever preached in front of. So um, this is not some small little church in the middle of nowhere. It's a a larger church um, who has multi-sites. And um, I'm assuming, therefore, there's a lot of people who think this preaching is great. But I'm baffled. I'm baffled. So here we go. We're going to listen to this. This was preached on Sunday. Supposed to be an exposition, I guess, of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. I, I just, I don't get it. Here we go. Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> glad to see you all today, John. Happy birthday. Um, and glad you guys uh, made it here safely. Uh, my name is Levi Francois, and I'm on, <clears throat> I'm on the leadership team here uh, at Grace. And uh... Okay, well, I wasn't going to give the name. I wasn't going to give the name or... Okay, I apologize. I forgot that he says it at the beginning. I forgot. That's not on me. But again, it's all over the internet. So I want to make sure it's fair. I'm not... I didn't... Ugh, okay, man, now I'm mad at myself. Okay, I just forgot that he says it at the beginning. So, but there, there I, I, can't, I can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about it. Here we go. Uh, the past couple of weeks, if you've been here, we've been talking about this new series that we're in. We've been talking about the, the uh, reality that we're going to spend the next 16 to 18 or so months uh, looking at the gospel, of, the gospel of John. But we're And that's awesome. That's awesome. The next 16 to 18 months, they're going to study the gospel of John. I still don't know how you can even do it in 16 to 18 months. But you know what? I applaud it, right? Took us four plus years to go through the Gospel of John. May have been closer to five years. I mean, the joke was there was that was the ongoing joke in the church at the time was that all the children were going to grow up, and the only book they were going to know was the Gospel of John. And that was using like Sunday school Gospel of John, Sunday morning Gospel of John, Sunday Wednesday night or Sunday night Gospel of John, Wednesday night Gospel of John. It was four hours of teaching on the Gospel of John for almost five years. Okay. And and then there were extra things going on as well. I mean, it was just like Gospel of John, Gospel of John, Gospel of John, Gospel of John, using every opportunity presented. So Now, I'm not saying everyone should do it that way. But I know that if you're going to go 16 or 18 months in a book, I think we should, I, again, what is your expectation? My expectation would be by the time you finish that book, you know that book. You know the gospel of John. Well, if you're going to spend your, this is the Sunday where you're in John chapter one, I'm sorry. There's no way this could be the, they have to come back next week in John chapter one. They have, I, 
They're just, if they come back next week and start in John chapter one, verse 19, I, I, I will check. I'm going to have utter complete meltdown because I just cannot bring myself to believe that this sermon was a sermon because on, on John chapter one, verses one through 18, because every theological significant issue was basically ignored. I, I, I have no words for this. All right, but okay, I'm going to, let's listen. <laughs> I'm trying to be calm. We're doing so. Uh, for the f- for the specific purpose of observing the life of Christ, and we want to see just the things that Jesus did, the habits that he put into place, the ways that he had daily rhythms, and how those grew him closer to the Father. Now, here's the question: Is the Gospel of John designed to show us what he did? Or is the gospel of John designed to show us who he is by what he did? When you're done with the gospel of John, should you know who Jesus is or should you know what he did? Someone just said, maybe they'll start uh, big and circle back with a microscope. You know what? I, I, I'm going to hope the best that maybe they're going to kind of go like, they're going to go like this big overview and then they're going to circle back. The only problem with that, my, my, I'm, I, I'm trying to be optimistic, but my concern is this is not even an overview. I don't even know what we're about to hear. It's not, cons- I don't, I don't know. It can't even be considered an overview, but, but, but okay. But I want you to hear that again. When it comes to the gospel, John, this is a, like, this is a theological, this is a hermeneutical theological question for everyone. All right. I want everyone to answer this question today. All right. The Gospel of John, is it designed to show us who Jesus is, or was it designed to show us what he did? And when it shows us what he did, because it does, is that designed for us to focus on the action, or is the action designed to focus up, to focus back and to prove and to demonstrate who he is? In other words, yeah, do we read the Gospel of John just to see his actions and go, Jesus did this, so we must do this? Or are we to read the Gospel of John and say, Jesus is, this is who he is, and these actions demonstrate who he is. In other words, are, are all the actions, are they simply examples for us to follow or are all of his actions signs to point and confirm who he is? This is a very important interpretive question in how you approach the gospel of John, right? Because there's certain miracles in the gospel of John, but are those miracles for me to go, oh, that, that tells me what I'm supposed to do? Or is everything in the gospel of John, when it shows action, is the action meant to confirm? to point to and to explain and to demonstrate who Jesus is. He's immediately making it about seeing what Jesus does. So in other words, is their entire focus on the gospel of John already wrong? That's a very important question. I'm going to go back and play that again. There's so months uh, looking at the gospel of the gospel of John, but we're, we're doing so uh, for the f- for the specific purpose of observing the life of Christ, and we want to see just the things that Jesus did, the habits that he put into place, the ways that he had daily rhythms, and how those 
grew him closer to the Father, how those grew him closer to his disciples and empowered him to go out on mission. So they're studying John to see what Jesus did. And by seeing his daily rhythms of life, it shows how it drew him closer to the Father. Uh, Well, that's a whole problem because, all right, did he draw closer to the Father? Was he ever apart? Okay, all right. So drawing, that already... We already could could have some issues, but how these daily rhythms of life drew him closer to the Father, closer to the disciples, and I guess how does this uh, closer to mission? Is that how he puts it? Let me back it up. The habits that he put into place, the ways that he had daily rhythms, and how those grew him closer to the Father, how those grew him closer to his disciples, and empowered him to go out on mission. All right. So his daily rhythms empowered him to go out on mission. So it was his actions that empowered him for mission. The whole thing is crazy. His actions drew him closer to the father, not for the fact that he and the father are one, right? In essence, you know, one God, three distinct persons, but it was the actions that drew him closer to the father. It was his actions that drew him closer to the other disciples. And it was his actions that empowered him for mission. Not that he was already empowered for mission because I don't know, he's God in the flesh. Okay. I don't know. I'm so baffled by this whole thing, but I want you to stay with me. Is the gospel of John designed to show us who Jesus is Not to show us what he did, but when it shows us what he did, the entire purpose is to show those actions are to point us to who he is, not to be, oh, here are the seven rhythms of life which shows how Jesus was and drew was, by these rhythms. He was drawn closer to the father, closer to the disciples and empowered to do mission, which means we fought that now the whole purpose of John is we see what Jesus did. We, it, we follow what Jesus did. And then we will be drawn closer to the father, closer to each other and empowered to do mission. Like the whole thing is the gospel of John is not even really so much about who he is. We look at what he did and we emulate what he did. And then we can be close to the father, close to one another and empowered to do mission. It's, it's, so really it's not, they, they've almost, they've not been explicit, but to, to me, this destroys the entire hermeneutic to the gospel of John. If this is the beginning sermon. And this is giving me indication of their hermeneutical philosophy, then they have completely destroyed the gospel of John, in my estimation. I believe the gospel of John is designed to show me who Christ is, that he is the eternal son of God, that he is deity. And the miracles are sign miracles to demonstrate his deity. They're like, forget who he is. Look at what he did. Now you emulate what he did. You get closer to the father. You get closer to one another and you're empowered for mission because these seven rhythms of life is what gave Jesus, drew Jesus closer to the father, close to the disciples and empowered him. This is that, I don't even know. I don't even know what's happening here. This is just so, it's so bizarre to me. All right. Okay. Let's, let's listen to this. Doing so. Uh, for the for the specific purpose of observing the life of Christ, and we want to see just the things that Jesus did, the habits that He put into place, 
the ways that he had daily rhythms and how those grew him closer to the Father, how those grew him closer to his disciples and empowered him to go out on mission. And for us, we want to be doing the same thing. If you get the slide up here with all of the patterns, one of the things uh, we talked about were all the different patterns that we picked out from the Gospel of John. If you go on to the next slide. Okay, they're, they're all focused on these slides and these slides where it has the seven, I guess, seven rhythms of life. Each rhythm has a certain shape. Now they say they picked out these shapes. I guess someone in the church created these shapes and I guess the shape represents the rhythm that was in. This is so like, it, the language is so not biblical language, not even really theological. The rhythms of life? What, what in the world is that? Shapes of the rhythm and that we are to follow the rhythm? I, like, I, what is this stuff? Um, and it's not an exhaustive list. And certainly there are, depending on the nuance um, that is associated with some of these uh, terms, you may think about them differently. But these are the seven rhythms that we have observed in the life of Jesus looking through the, through the Gospel of John. And these are the rhythms that we want to emulate. See, it's not a, see forget who Jesus is. We need to find the rhythm. We need to find the rhythms, and then we follow the rhythm. Jesus is the rhythm, and we follow the, the rhythm. I, I don't know what in the world. What is this? I, where is this? Oh, I, don't, I don't even know what this is, and I'm trying to be nice. See, that's why I spent like 20 minutes in my intro. I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be empathetic. I'm trying to be understanding. I am, I am, I am. And I understand preaching is subjective as all get out. And other people will eat this stuff up. But but look, this is where I won't be empathetic. This is where I don't care about how subjective it is. And it's about personal preference. When you start approaching the gospel of John in a way that destroys the actual meaning of the whole gospel, then I lose my empathy. Then I lose my sympathy then I lose everything, right? Because now, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're preaching at a church that has multi-site and you're preaching in front of far more people than I will ever preach in front of, then you've got a responsibility to know how do we approach the gospel of John in a hermeneutically correct way? Is the gospel of John about who Jesus is or is it about what he did? And what he did, is that simply to show me what he did so I can emulate it? Or does it show me what he did to confirm who he is? I, I'm, I'm going to keep repeating that over and over and over and over and over and over. But here, we got to find the rhythms. So they went to the Gospel of John, not to figure out who Jesus is. They went to the Gospel of John to find seven rhythms. Then they take the rhythms, and now we're supposed to emulate the rhythms. I want to also mention that the, the shapes of these rhythms... That was just the creative mind of Brian Menzi. They don't mean anything in particular. Um, but what they represent are stones. And the reason being is, is we're using this analogy, if you want uh, to go to the next slide, where we're looking at our life and we are saying that our capacity is such. And we can only fit so much into these jars, into, into the, the capacity that we've been given. 
And these big rocks, these stones, represent just the rhythms and patterns that we observe from Jesus. And Okay, so what it is, is there, it shows these shapes, these rhythms. I guess they're supposed to be rocks. And then it shows a jar. Now, what you're supposed to do, in the jar, there's sand. Now, sand is just all the irrelevant thing we do, we do in life, right? All the just kind of the meaningless stuff. Now, we don't want our jar filled with all of that sand. Oh, no, 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 no. So we got to make sure that sand is poured out. But we got to put some of these rocks and these rhythms in. Now, what we want to do is we got to make sure we have room for the big ones, right? So we got to determine what the big rhythms are, the big things, so that there's room in the jar. Then we can fill in with the smaller ones, right? So somehow our life is like a jar, and we, most half of it is filled up with sand, all of just all of the things we have to do. Now we got these other things that we got to put into the jar. Now at this point, see, the whole gospel is no longer about who Jesus is. It's about identifying rhythms and then figuring out how to get these rhythms in your jar, so if you, because if you don't get them in your jar, then you won't draw closer to God, closer to one another, and you won't be empowered for mission. I, I, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. But no, we're talking about rhythms. And rocks and a jar. Okay. What we want to do is prioritize these patterns and these rhythms first. And so you see the two comparisons. If you were to prioritize any random thing, so that so let's say the sand represents just social media or, or any random thing that you could be doing, um, nothing with intention, just something that just kills the time. And the medium stones are something more intentional. They're important to you. Uh, maybe it's going out with friends. Maybe it's uh, seeing your parents or your in-laws or, um, I mean, any number of family type, family and friend oriented type events uh, would be those, those medium stones. Uh, or even maybe your kids have something going on. All right, so social media, the sand, hanging out with family, smaller rocks, kids events that they have to do, smaller rocks. Going on and you want to, uh, attend and support them. And you see, if you try to put just all the, the, the minor things in comparison to what God revealed to us, you try to put them first in the jar, you're running out of space. And all right. So, so all these other things, we got to figure out what God reveals to us. What God, now what God reveals to us, that's what we got to leave space for. We got to leave space for what God reveals to us, right? Because our, our jar, our jar. I, I, okay. Oh man. Well, all right. I'm, 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 let's just continue. And you're not able to put in the practice, the rhythms that we observe in Jesus's life. All right. So see, then we won't have room to practice the rhythm. We got to practice the rhythm. We got to identify the seven rhythms, and then we got to make sure we've got room in our jar for the rhythms so that we can practice the rhythm. Because if we don't practice the rhythm, then we won't be drawn closer to God, closer to our neighbor, and we won't have power for mission. All right? So this, this is like, this is the way they're interpreting the book. The book is about seven rhythms. And the rhythms is not about helping us understand who Jesus is. The rhythms is for us to emulate or to follow so that we can then draw closer to God, closer to our fellow believer, and have power for mission. 
But if you prioritize these rhythms first, and then everything else would go around it, then you're living a life that is having Jesus and putting Jesus at the center. You're living a life that emulates well what he reveals to us in his gospel. And today I'm excited because we get to, to go over just the first 18 verses of John. And it's the introduction to Jesus. And out of, out of all the gospels, this introduction to Jesus captures well just how great and magnanimous he is. All right, so we start off with really the hermeneutic. The hermeneutic is, hey guys, I'm getting ready to cover a chapter that is about who Jesus is. But don't forget, we're not really here to figure out who Jesus is. Our point, our focus is to get to the chapters that talk about what Jesus did so that we can identify the rhythms so that we can emulate the rhythms. Because this is a gospel about what Jesus did, not about who Jesus is. Even though it starts off with a chapter clearly identifying who he is. But that's really irrelevant. But he's going to make now, he's going to talk a little bit about who Jesus is, right? All right, now, the fact that you're going to talk about who Jesus is, that sounds good, right? Because now we can get into the serious theological meat that's right here. While also capturing just how close and personal he is. We serve a massive God. Praise the Lord. And we also serve a God who is so accessible, accessible to every single one of us in this room. And so even uh, today and also as we go on this journey for these next few months, I just want us to be thinking that we, every single time we put a practice into place and we're, we're, we're isolating time so that we can be just like Jesus, whether it's uh, our prayer time, reading scripture or being. All right, so see now he's going back to, hey, hey, don't forget, he's a mighty God. He's, he's this powerful, giant, you know, God. Okay, but, 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 but let's get back to us. Let's get back to us. Okay, we got to put this stuff into practice. See, whenever we put it into practice, whenever we act like Jesus. Hey, I'm going to back that up just a little bit. And we put a practice in the place and we're, we're, we're isolating time so that we can be just like Jesus, whether it's uh, our. Let me make it very clear. You have never been just like Jesus. You will never be just like Jesus until glorification. Until then, you are never like Jesus. You fall short of Jesus because Jesus was the eternal son of God who was without sin prayer time, reading scripture, or being with others, um, and, and just loving the family of God, whatever it may be, just know that we are able to engage with what the creator of the universe set forth for us as an example. And we're only able to do this because he came down and he died so that we may be in right standing with the father. Okay, Jesus gave us an example. The reason we can follow the example is because Jesus came down to die for us so we can be in right relationship with the Father. Me, seemingly to mean, I, 
He, he either doesn't understand what he just said or he meant what he just said, me seemingly to imply Jesus died so that we could follow an example, that our right standing with God is dependent on us following the example. That's, if, you, if you take that sentence apart, that's literally what's being implied. Hey, Jesus gave us an example. You know why you can follow the example? Because Jesus died for you so you can be in right relationship with the Father. What does right relationship with the Father means? Following Jesus' example. So Jesus died so you could follow his example. Not that I made it, I'm placing a right relationship with the Father, not because I follow Jesus' example, but because Jesus' obedience, Jesus' righteousness is imputed to my account by faith. This is a complete, utter denial of that. It, it, maybe he just misspoke. Maybe he just made a mistake. I can understand that. Again, I, you see why at the beginning of this podcast, everything I did every, look, I did everything the way I did because I was trying to prove a point, right? Hey, I stumbled over my words at the beginning. I had to start over. I was going to cough. I was making all of these mistakes because I understand that public speaking you can make mistakes. So I, so I've tried, I started off trying to be as empathetic as I can. I was trying to show empathy. I was trying to show, I was trying to be compassionate. Now I, I lose all my compassion and sympathy and empathy when they clearly, utterly change the hermeneutic for the gospel of John, making it about what Jesus did instead of making it about who he is. I, I still believe the gospel of John is about who Jesus is there to show me who Jesus is and that the miracles that he does are sign miracles to confirm the fact that Jesus is the eternal son of God. Right? That, but So I already have a problem there. But now this, either this is a mistake or this was the w w most w worst worded point ever given in a sermon that claims to be Christian. I'm going to back it up. And I want to make it very clear. I've said things that I'll be like, oh, wow. I didn't mean to say it that way. And I will, I will delete the sermon. Others, um, and, and just loving the family of God, whatever it may be, just know that we are able to engage with what the creator of the universe set forth for us as an example. We're able to engage in whatever the creator set forth for us as an example. We're able to engage. And we're only able to do this because. And we're only able to do this. Because he came down and he died so that we may be in right standing with the father. The only way I can do this is because Jesus died and I can have a right relationship with the Father. So either you mean Jesus died so I could have a right relationship with the Father. Now, because I'm in a right relationship with the Father, now I can do it. Or Jesus gave me the power to do this so that I can be in a right relationship with the Father. And the way I'm in the right relationship with the Father is because I do these things. Now, I'm assuming if I don't do these things, they would say I'm not in a right relationship with the Father. Meaning that the way I, Jesus died so that I could do this, so that I could be in the right relationship with the Father. The, like, this needs clarification, right? Did, did Jesus die so I could be in the right relationship with the Father? And because I'm in the right relationship with the Father, now I can do these things. But if you turn around and say, if I don't do these things, I'm not in the right, right relationship with the Father, 
then what you're really saying is that Jesus died so that I could do these things, not because he's imputing a righteousness, but he's doing these things. So because by doing these things is how I am in a right relationship with the father. I guarantee you they would probably argue that if you don't do these rhythms of life, you're not in a right relationship with the father. This is, this is a convoluted mess of like, they, he needs 30 minutes just to explain what in the world are you even talking about? But I guess everyone in this church is just like, okay, whatever. I, I, I guess nobody has, <laughs> I don't know. I would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're, you're, you're about three seconds away from literally destroying the gospel. And so as we go along, not only having that perspective, that we are going to draw near to God, we're going to grow close to him, we're going to learn so much more about him. But also having the perspective too that we are going to see him for who he really is. He's a massive God. Okay, now that's good. We're good. We're going to see. But see, this seems to be an, just something added. Hey, the real focus here is to see the rhythms so that we can follow the example. Right? Find the rhythm, follow the rhythm. The purpose of the gospel is to show us what Jesus did so that we can see what he did so that we can do what he did, right? And we can do what he did because Jesus died so we can be in a right relationship with the Father, right? And then all of that, how we process that circle there because it could go two different directions. All of that's already problematic. So, but I do, now, but it's almost like, but in addition to all of that, wait, there's more. We're gonna get to see who Jesus is. That's almost just added in that's clearly not their hermeneutic for interpreting the gospel. One of the, one of the um, scenes from the movie Narnia, has, have any of you seen the movie or read the book, Narnia, C.S. Lewis, anybody? Maybe? No? Okay. Um, but one of the scenes from Narnia. That- and of course, now we have to go to, <laughs> we got to go to the Chronicles of Narnia. Literally, this is a sermon on John chapter one. And before we get to the text, we have to go to the Chronicles of Narnia for crying out loud. Okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. All right. I'm open for creativity. Let's hear it. That is That really embodies well just what we're going to see today as, as we encounter the Lord through just the introduction, his introduction uh, by the apostle John um, is, is just this line. So he... He seems very, just from a preaching perspective, he has, he's stuttered a lot. Like I've, I've heard him preach before and he seems to be stuttering a lot. Like, and I understand sometimes I'm, I'm in, I've had a bad morning, bad night, and it's just like things are not flowing. And I hate that feeling. So I've, this is where I feel empathy and I feel bad for him. But he's getting ready to have some major, he gets all discombobulated here in this illustration. He, he catches himself. He tries to correct it. But this is really just kind of awkward the way this is going to play out. The lion in Narnia, Aslan, represents the Christ figure. And Lucy, the little girl, is talking to Aslan. And uh, Aslan says, welcome, child, he said. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. Or I'm sorry. Start over. And that's okay. That's okay. No big deal. No big deal that he's having problems. He's trying to read this from his iPad. He's trying to read it from an iPad. They don't have a pulpit. It's really weird. There's no pulpit. It's just a stand where the the iPad is just, you just place the iPad here on the stand and, and 
there's these brackets and I guess you tighten the brackets and it holds your iPad and you just, I'm like, why wouldn't you just have a Bible and a pulpit with notes? Like, I guess you could put your notes on your iPad. I mean, I, I use my, oh, I don't typically have lots of notes, uh, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's okay. All right. But all right. But so he's just trying to read this from the iPad. All right. That's okay. But it's on the stand. Right. And so I know that if I have the iPad down, down, like on the pulpit and I'm just scrolling it, typically it's, it's better when I have it up in my hand and I can, and I can make sure that I'm looking at it correctly, but okay. Just no big deal, but it just, it just seems that something's been off for kind of like throughout it. And this just really there, like all of a sudden he realized, wait a minute, he just read that and completely incorrect. So he's going to start over, which is good. And once again, why I did my intro the way I did it is I wanted to demonstrate, see, I can mess up and I have to start over, which happens all the time. So I don't want, I don't want that to be the focus or to criticize this. I'm still just baffled on how they've completely changed the entire meaning of the Gospel of John. Welcome, child, he said. Lucy then says, Aslan, you're bigger. Aslan responds, that is because you are older, little one. Lucy responds, wait, not because you are? Aslan says, I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. That's a powerful line. I know sometimes we can grow so close and talk about Jesus as a friend, which he is, that we forget that He is a great and mighty God. And we forget because of his greatness that reveals to us just the depth to which he went to be able to to be reconciled with us so that he can reconcile us to the Father. The great lengths he went to be reconciled with us so that he could reconcile us to the Father? Like, like some of this, like some of his language, you're like, what we, he reconciled us. He did. Okay. There's just, it's like, he's having a hard time here. Is a great and mighty God. And we forget because of his greatness that reveals to us just the depth to which he went to be able to, to be reconciled with us so that he can reconcile us to the father. Just seems like a weird that he struggled to be reconciled to us. He didn't need to be reconciled to us. We must be brought into reconciliation with him, right? He's in the right standing. We're in the wrong standing. I I don't, maybe, maybe, I don't know. It just seems worded odd, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Let's just see where it goes. And so let's just go ahead and turn our Bibles to 1 John, not 1 John, to John chapter 1. There is a 1 John. See, he just seems like something's off here. Something's off here. Something's, and I understand. I, I, I don't want to critique that. I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging that something just seems off because it can happen, man. 
Man, sometimes I get to church and it's like, oh no, what would, and when I get in the car to drive home, I'm like, man, that was horrible. That was horrible. That was horrible. What? Why did that happen? And I get so mad and, so, and, and I get angry at myself. I get mad. I, I may yell. I just like, I am not happy with it. And then I come home and delete it because I, I can't. So I understand having a bad, bad time. I don't want that to become the focus. He's getting ready now to open up the Bible finally to John chapter one. How is he going to handle this absolutely amazing, theologically in depth, one of the most essential passages to understand who Jesus is, maybe in the New Testament? What are we going to get? What what should we expect? Um, and and we're gonna read just the first eighteen verses, just. This is just the introduction uh, to Jesus. And, and before we start, I just want to give some context. Uh, one of the, one of the um, phrases that you see. And I, and I can't, this is just the introduction. Okay. I understand you can say this is just the introduction, but it's, it's not just the introduction. It is like the, like it, it just opens up with a boom. Here's this absolutely profound theological truth that we have to unpack. So it, it, but he almost treats it like it's just an introduction. I know he doesn't, when he's saying it's just an introduction, he's not trying to say it's just an introduction. He's trying to say, whoa, ladies and gentlemen, this is just the introduction and look at what's here. But he, uh, he handles it like, it's just the introduction. We can skip that. How many times do you get a book and you see the introduction? You're just like, boom, get me to chapter one. You just kind of skip the introduction. That's how it's treated. I know that's not how he meant to explain it, but that's how it's treated. See, John used to describe Jesus is he calls him the word. And the, the reason being is because it had both meaning for the Jewish population that would then read this gospel, as well as the Greeks who were, um, it was the educated Greeks who, who were Stoics. And so he uses this term word in Greek, it's logos. And just to give a, a brief uh, definition, logos in Greek would mean uh, meaning or word or reason. And what the Greek Stoics would believe is that there's not a person that is behind all of this that we can see in the visible world, but there is a law in place and the universe operates in this law. And so everything that we observe and see is just a reflection of this law that was set in place, just like the law of gravity. If you jump, you'll come back to the ground. This is the principal law is what they believe. And they got this from just observing the things around them. But then we know that when it comes to, to logos and the word to the Jewish believer, it has a different connotation. See, to the Jewish believer, they think about when God spoke creation into being. God said, let there be light, and it came to be. So when, when they, when they re reference Logos, these Hellenistic Jews, they're talking about the, the powerful force of God's will. And so John begins this gospel in saying, in the beginning was the word. Now, I do appreciate he trying to offer some background to it, right? I mean, he didn't go to the fact that the, a Greek philosopher at around 600 BC, I think was the first to use the term logos, 
and as it was to de- designate the divine reason or plan which coordinates a changing universe. He didn't he didn't get into that. And in John, Lagos denotes the essential word of God, Jesus Christ, the personal wisdom and power in union with God, his minister in creation and government of the universe, the causes of all the world's life, both physical and ethical, which for the uh, procurement of man's salvation put uh, put on human nature in the person of Jesus the Messiah, the second person in the Godhead, and shown forth from his words and deeds. Now, that is just right there in the Blue Letter Bible app. I mean, that's just, I mean, you can just find, you can find the fact that there was a Greek philosopher around 600 BC who was the first to use it. Just, I mean, he doesn't even give that like just basic information. He does give a little bit, right? But he doesn't really like, all right. So you had, that he uses this word, logos, because the Greeks would understand it, the Jews would understand it, but he's going to take their understanding and then bring in the full meaning of who Logos is, not just a concept or an idea, but a person. Okay, all right, that's good. You could really stress that and, and really work, flesh that out. He just he's, he's just going to fly past it. All right, here we go. He's making an, an allusion back to the before the creation of the world, but he's also making an allusion to the fact that both of them use this term word and understand that to, that to mean supreme divine understanding and supreme and divine person. He said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been, that has been made. One of the things that just strikes me in reading that is, what we observe here on earth, this is all Jesus's creativity. The visible world is Jesus's creative mind, piecing all of this together and holding it together. That is why he calls him the word. He is that principle behind everything that we see, everything that we interact with. And Jesus is God. And he is also distinct from God, the father. So it goes on. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's it for verse one. That's it. (laughs) No hypostatic union. No Trinity. No, no. That's basically it. I'll play it out just to verify, but I think that's it. That's, that's, that's how John chapter one, verse one was handled in, in this church. Is that acceptable to you? Now I know again, preaching can be subjective, but there has to be objective standard that if you preach John chapter one, verse one, it's gotta be more than that. Hey guys, logos was this word that meant something to the Greeks and to the Jews. They didn't really get it right. Jesus is that logos and he's creator and he was with God and he was God. And so he was God, but he was distinct from God. I'm not going to explain how he's distinct from God or how he was God. And do I understand the hypostatic union? And how do I understand the Trinity? And was he of the same essence, of a similar essence? I'm not going to go into the fact that Jehovah's Witnesses say that he was a God and deal with the the, the controversy surrounding that. I, I'm not going to go. No, 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 no. None of that. Just, just skip all of that. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all may believe. He himself was not the light. And this is speaking of John the Baptist. 
He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone coming into the world. He was in the world, and, and though the world was, was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in, in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the, glory of the one and only son who came from the, father to, from the father full of grace and full of truth. John testifies concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace and place of grace already given. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only son who, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Jesus is the source of everything visible to us. And Jesus is also the living representation of God the father. And so one of the things that we see in, in the way that John is introducing Jesus to the readers and the way that John is introducing Jesus to us is he breaks it down in such a way where at first he talks about Jesus' identity. Jesus' identity and his mission in the beginning, in the beginning five verses. And then he goes on to talk about how the apostles and the prophets testified about Jesus. And then he, he, he mentions how Jesus, this word, he I guess this is sup supposed to be kind of an outline of it, I guess, kind of an outline of it. Came down to live with us. He became flesh. And we get down to the center in verses uh, 10 through 13 that all we have to do, he's already done all of this before us. All we have to do is respond. We could either respond in faithfulness or we can reject everything that he's done for us and everything that took place for him to be face to face with us. And just so we don't miss it, it goes back the same order once again. John repeats, yes, Jesus, he is the word and he did come here. He became flesh, very stark, very direct language. Speaking to the testimony of John the Baptist yet again, John the Baptist was the last of the old order of prophets. If we know anything about the prophets of the Old Testament, God would use whomever he would call, he would use them as his mouthpiece. And through that person, through that individual, whoever he would select, they would speak to his people. They would speak to the Israelites. And so John is the last individual that God did that with. So not only does John correct everyone's perspective, because all the Jews were anticipating that Jesus was going to come, but they can only 
perceive within just the, the things that they've seen in the past. So they're thinking, is he going to be like King David, a political leader? And rule over us and, and, and take us from under the boot of the Romans. Is he going to be like Moses? And so John the Baptist makes it clear that, no, Jesus is not going to be like any of these individuals. He's well above me. Some people held John the Baptist in high regard. They compared him to Moses even. And so he's, he's clearing their, their perspective and having them know, no, he is much greater than that. And also, he is making way as the prophet that God would speak through. He is making way for what Jesus was getting ready to bring. And that's his Holy Spirit, which allows every single believer, every single one of us in this room who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, to hear directly from our God. Okay, now straight up, charismatic, now we can all hear directly from God. We can all hear directly from God. We can all hear directly from, everyone can hear directly from God. So, I, I, I don't, but just know, this is like, this, this, I'm just letting this play a little f- further out, just to show you, he, I'm, I'm going to show you, he is literally, that, that was all the discussion of John chapter 1, verse 1. He's done with it. And now, the emphasis is really, and, and this is very important, really the whole emphasis is this. The Holy Spirit will speak directly to you. So at the end of the sermon, they literally are like, okay, now listen to what the Holy Spirit is going to tell you about John chapter one. Well, the Holy Spirit's telling me that you obliterated the whole meaning of the gospel and you obliterated the entire chapter because you ignored the absolutely important theology within it. But, you know. I probably don't hear from the Holy Spirit the way they do. Obviously, I'm joking. But no, I understand that from reading the text. Okay, but here we go. Because God only speaks to us through the word of God. Okay, but all right, here we go. Let's just, I just want you to see that I'm not making this up. He's literally done with John chapter one, verse one. And all we have to do is what we see in verse 10 through 13 is just respond. So I want to look at uh, just verse 10 or uh, that section of verse 10 through 13. If we want to get the slide there. That's it. That is a sermon on John chapter 1. No, no one deals with none of the, the, the serious issues here. None of them are even touched. None of them are even approached. Not even him or even explained. He is God, or he's with God, but he was God. Nothing about how the similar, same substance, one God, three distinct persons, co-equal, co-eternal. Not, none of this, like, like n- none of this is even begotten, but not made. None, none of the, like, none, none of the things that you would have to deal with in this text, how Jehovah's Witnesses handle this. Nothing about the hypostatic union. None of this is even approached in this. And then, and then from here, it just, it just, to me, it, it just, it just basically becomes now you do this, you do this, you do, it all becomes about you, 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 not about Christ, but about you. So how should John chapter one be preached? I, I, 
I, I literally don't know. Like on one hand, I want to look, uh, look on one hand, I am going to be critical because they obliterated how to interpret the gospel of John and a place and put in front of and put in place a fraudulent way to handle the text that I will be dogmatic about. I will be, I, I'm not going to make any apology for that. I do understand the rest of this is subjective. And I do understand that he, he's, he seems just, he, he just seems to have some issues. And even at the end of the sermon, he makes some comment like Jesus was made lower than all human beings. There was just these, like, I don't know if he, I don't, like just something was off. So we will ignore all of that. All of that is okay. We just, we'll just chalk that up to just stumbling and having some problems. Okay. We got that. But there's no way to get around that John chapter one is handled in such a, I don't know what you call that. It's just, it's like, oh, there's John chapter one on the floor. Let's sweep that to the side because we got to get down to what we're supposed, we're not going to get to who Jesus, well, you know what? Now that I take it back, I take it back. He's being consistent with his hermeneutic because he doesn't believe John is about who Jesus is. It's about what Jesus did. Well, you don't really have anything much about what he did. So he's going to, but remember the reason they're going to focus on what Jesus did is so that we know what we are to do. So since he's in a chapter that's really about who Jesus is and not what Jesus did, well, then he's going to immediately go to what we're supposed to do. So in a roundabout way, any chapter that is absent of what Jesus did, it's going to turn into a chapter about what we are to do. So what he's got, he's like, okay, yeah, this talks about who Jesus is, but let's get focused on what we're supposed to do. And what we're supposed to do is emulate Jesus. We are to follow his example because we can now follow his example. So I guess he's being consistent with his hermeneutic. Like, hey, all this stuff about who Jesus is, let's not spend too much time on that. We got to get to focusing on ourselves and what we're supposed to be doing. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know what to say. Like, I, I don't know what to say. I know preaching is subjective. There are people who probably love his preaching and think that's the greatest sermon they've ever heard. I'm just going to be honest with you. That is one of the, the I, I, maybe you think it's hyperbole. I think it's one of the worst sermons I've ever heard in my life on the gospel of John. And I, and the word, and, and please make sure you understand this. There are, you say, no, I've heard worse sermons because they were heretical. No, I'm saying worse in this way, not because there was blatant heresy, but because of just how trying to, I guess, sound at times orthodox, uh, just uh, literally just treated the gospel of John like it was, like, like it was just something to be br brushed aside. That I can't handle. I mean, that chapter, I mean, like, we could read that for the rest of our lives and just be completely just, our minds can't even comprehend. In the beginning was the word. The word's in the beginning. What beginning is that necessarily referencing? But whatever, what beginning it's referring to, the word is there. Okay, why does it use the word logos? Right? And the word was with God. And the word was God with and was the same, but separate. How do we understand the sameness? How do we understand the separate without destroying the Trinity or coming into a modalistic or Sabalian or Sabalian, uh, approach to it? Sabalianism. 
Um, why, why, like th- these are like serious theological issues. I I I just I don't get it. I I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. So I will let I let you decide. Is, is, is do you think this is fine? Do you think this is okay? Is is it just a matter of personal preference? Is this a thing where if you if you choose this kind of preaching, it's perfectly okay? No one can say anything bad about it? Or do you think there is room to criticize this? And for when it comes to the Gospel of John, do you think the Gospel of John is designed to show us who Jesus is or designed to show us what he does? And when the Gospel of John shows us what Jesus did, is it showing us what he did simply so that we can now follow the example? Or is it showing us what he did as sign miracles to confirm and prove who Jesus is. That right there, an hour and 19 minutes, that is what I want you to take away because it gives you maybe a correct way to interpret the gospel of John that may protect you from someone literally handling you what I believe is a fraudulent and dangerous and broken hermeneutical method to interpret the gospel of John. There, I make no apology. I will stand my ground on that. But what makes it worse is that people said in that church, and if they don't come back to it, like if they just start next week in verse 19, they literally skip one of the, maybe one of the most glorious, amazing chapters in the Bible as far as helping us be confronted with God, the nature of God, Christ, the nature of Christ, how, they're, how, how do we understand the eternality of Christ, the deity of Christ, his relationship to the Father? Obliterated. And we can't understand why study after study shows that Christians are biblically and theologically illiterate. I think I can understand why. We just heard why. That kind of preaching. Doesn't the gospel of John chapter one deserve better? I'm not saying perfect. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there can be pastors who stumble, fumble, and and, and have a difficult time, but still are showing the reverence and respect that the text deserves. No matter how hard it is for them to try to explain it or articulate it. I would rather someone stumble and fumble and, and, and have difficulty trying to articulate it, but at least showing reverence to the text than just basically saying, we're just going to go down to verse 10. All right, you can contact me your thoughts. You can contact me with your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Even if this wasn't beneficial to you, it's beneficial to me because I've been bothered by this literally all day. (laughs) All day. I had to express this. I mean, sometimes I listen to a sermon. I'm like, whoa, I want to share this. This one I've been like, just don't understand. It makes me, you know what it really did? This is the sad part. It made me call into question, why do I even bother to preach? That kind of preaching gets you a big church. That kind of preaching gets you a platform. Why bother trying to preach any other way? From a human perspective, 
that's that will lead to success where other kinds of preaching doesn't always lead to success i, I don't know i i i don't i don't really ha- i don't have any words to explain it newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com love to get your thoughts god bless <laughs>